You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 352 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. I'm super excited about this week's podcast episode and it's all about commercial portrait photography with our guest, Yoren Newhouse. Cool. Okay. Commercial portrait photography. So Mm. what is, we've spoken about portrait photography in the past. What's the difference between portrait photography and commercial portrait photography? Yeah, well, so portrait photography, you're dealing with the, the, the clients that you're working for, it's the general population, you know, just regular everyday people, right? When yes. you're working in commercial portrait photography, you're dealing with a business. So that's one of the major differences. Portrait photography uh, that, that are running, portrait photographers that are running a business will make their money by either having uh, like a low sitting fee and then they will charge for the prints or the wall mm-hmm. art or the um, albums that people yep. buy and they'll put a high markup on that. And they yep. often, like a lot of them that are starting out will make their the majority of their money doing volume. So they're shooting every day, you know, weekends, it's it, it's lots of work. Whereas commercial photographers, the way that they price, it's much, much higher fee. So there's licensing, they're charging, you know, an hourly rate or a daily rate and then they're charging for everything that they do. So that when you um, see the difference between a portrait uh, quote and a commercial portrait quote, usually very different. And I was often caught out a lot by this when I was starting out because it's like I've always been in the commercial realm rather than the portrait realm. So portrait photography, there is uh, a very low or no barrier to entry. So anyone who's got a phone or a camera can start a portrait photography business. So it's for that reason that at the the entry level in portrait photography, anyone can do it. It's very crowded at the bottom. So you need to uh, work hard to to because uh, it's very competitive, right? Mm-hmm. And often what happens is that people will do the math when you've come out of business thinking, well, hey, you know, there's a lot of countries where the minimum wage is like, you know, it's $10 an hour or it's very, very low and they think, all right, if I can make – a headshot, I'm doing really well, but they're not factoring in all the other expenses. And so you have to do a lot of volume of work just to make a decent living and cover all your costs. And so for that reason, often a lot of people that start out in the portrait photography business will suffer burnout early on because it's Mm. just too hard to keep up. Mm. Uh, So with commercial photography, uh, you're working with art directors and advertising agencies. You've got big budgets. It's uh, like original um, thinking goes into the projects and, and it's like a very, very uh, high standard. So, you know, you, you, once that you, you, you break in and it's a lot harder to get your foot in the door in the commercial area, but once you break in, you can make very, very good money, but you don't have to do that sort of volume of work. And then you're working as a team. So you're working with other people because it's business to business type photography. Does that make sense? So are you saying, for example, with regular portrait photography, where it's the high volume, it might be things like um, seniors portraits or, okay, weddings and, you know, people who just need um, who, who just want to hit photos, pregnancy okay. photos. So what's some examples of commercial p- portrait photography? 
So commercial portrait photography might be a campaign for, say, a um, uh, home for the elderly where they hire a photographer to come in and take photos of uh, elderly models who represent that agency or it might be Coca-Cola that that want – Okay, so we, we want to sell Coca-Cola to millennials. They're not drinking it. Well, how can we do that? Well, we get mm. millennial models in and right. we create this aspirational campaign where it's like if you drink Coca-Cola, you're going to be happy and jumping for joy and <laughs> yeah. really, really attractive as well Just and, and really popular <laughs> just so where drinking does, this drink. where does corporate headshots fit in? Uh, so corporate headshots I, I – um, is commercial work mm-hmm. as well because okay. you're also well there is a gray area now because what we're seeing and probably mm. this has been in the last 10 years that there mm. has been the rise of the entrepreneur like the the self-made single you know person yeah. who's running like a, like a, real a one estate person agent. show and they might be you know uh they need to you know that they, they're making uh they've got their macrame um bikini business that they're running and they're starting out and they need their profile images they need their headshots or it might be that they're a lawyer they run they run a business on their own or they've got a couple of assistants and that's how the the commercial portrait photography uh, business works so there is a little bit of overlap okay. but there is a sort of a, a quite a big difference in uh, how the the two businesses particularly the look of the images uh, and in the portrait photography business, like higher end, those people that are higher end and they work sort of more in an artier area, and that they can they can create they can make a lot of money, and it's quite lucrative uh, mm. because they do beautiful work that stands out from the pack. Same with the commercial. If you can get yourself up near the top of the commercial uh, industry, there as a photographer, you can do one to two half days a month mm. and you're clearing six figures. Mm. Fantastic. You know, and okay. most of them are doing more than that. So, um, you know, the best commercial photographers I've found, the best commercial portrait photographers are the ones who they start shooting, uh, they'll get the, um, their foot in the door, they'll start shooting portrait work. So they might do a few weddings, they'll do some baby shoots, they'll do, you know, portrait photography and then from there, they're learning how to direct and connect with people and pose people, and then they might uh, move into commercial photography. So it's this commercial. Th- this is my area. This is where I work, and this is the area that I love. And it's this is for that reason that I encourage all of the old uh, community members that I that I work with to pursue this area of photography because I think that when you focus on uh, the excellence of the work that you're doing, you uh, you attract clients. And uh, mm. I don't think there's a better feeling than, you know, creating beautiful work that, that you're still excited by and that still inspires you. And I, like I've been doing this for 30 plus years now, Val, and I'm still mm. loving it and super excited by it. Great. So you focus more on commercial portrait photography and our guest today, Yaron Newhouse, is also um, a specialist in commercial portrait photography. So we're going to get onto our chat with him um, in a sec. But in the meantime, you've also been busy with the goal community. That's right. Yeah. So we've been uh, working on uh, getting their portraits up to uh, beautiful levels. Like they've all been absolutely loving the zero to hero photography courses and a lot of them have been doing those and posting their, their images. Maybe you and need to explain been... to people what the zero to hero photography courses yeah, are because so we've mentioned that a so few times I've, yeah, on the yeah, podcast. So I've created this whole uh, series of courses where I've just – because I've seen photography education and it's like when I was trying to learn lighting, it never made sense. And, and you know, the, the educators that are out there can talk about, you know, the look of light and what – but no one ever – from what I've seen, a lot of it is like you put the light there – 
and these are the settings and hopefully you get a good photo. But but how and why? So I've broken it down and I've really simplified it and I've created this whole series of steps that you start at the most basic and very basic equipment. So all you need is an umbrella, a speed light and a, a styrofoam head. Mm-hmm. And the reason I, I encourage everyone to use a styrofoam head is because that when you're trying to learn a technical skill and lighting is super technical, if you've got a model in front of you, and I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, parents who listen to the show who might have teenage children or younger children or long-suffering partners that they ask to pose for them, and usually uh, these people give us, what, 30 seconds? 15 if we're lucky before they start rolling their eyes because everyone just thinks if they're not a photographer that you're going to when you say I need you to um, just pose for me they'll think oh it's going to take three seconds and after like half a minute they're bored they want to leave they've got things to do and that puts you the photographer under pressure so Mm. take all the pressure away that's why styrofoam head on a light stand and then I've got this whole series of Uh, techniques that you work through until you get the end result and by the end result and this is like in less than 20 minutes you're suddenly creating this beautiful lighting that you go oh wow I did that and not only do you learn how to do it but you learn why why Mm -hmm. putting something in front of the light or why you know what happens when you move the light away what happens when you move closer and you actually physically see it and then you can take everything that you've learned in that particular course and apply it to your photography. So it's a, it's, it's fail-proof, this technique. So I've got two um, courses at the moment. So uh, the Zero you know, to Hero t- courses are only available to people in the goal community? The goal community, yes. And yeah. uh, I'm now working on the third one. But I've had great success and yeah. fantastic feedback. I'm so proud of this course, Val. Really proud Brilliant. of it. Brilliant. And of course, if you'd like to find out a bit more about the Gold community, have a listen to this. This podcast is brought to you by the Gold community. I'm passionate about helping the members of the Gold community. They're amazing photographers and I love seeing them progress in leaps and bounds. Here's what BJ Brito had to say. I think with you, the thing is, it's almost like I'm talking to a friend and your responsiveness is so amazing. It's like I have my own personal coach all the time. Hey, Gina, how can I set this up? Okay, and Gina is like right there discussing this with me and you know setting this up for me. That's really amazing. And it, it's such a big help, especially like on the days, like I mentioned, my first shoot, you know, that was, that's where I realized the value that you bring with this whole setup. And I'm so thankful to have you as part of my journey that you've helped me through and I look forward to, you know, being working with you through this next five years or thank, more. Thank you, Vijay. It's like it's my greatest joy seeing everyone, um, you know, progress and, uh, you know, shine as photographers and I've got big plans for you. So uh, thanks again. If you'd like to find out more about the Gold community, head to ginamilitia.com and click on Memberships. All right, so now let's move on to this week's guest, Joran Neuerhaus. Cool. Where, where, tell us about Joran. All right, so I stumbled on Joran's work. Uh, I think uh, I saw it on Instagram. Absolutely beautiful. Now, I keep having to remind myself mm. that this guy is only 29 years old mm-hmm. and he's already at that sort of master level in wow. the commercial world, which is absolutely extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And I can see uh, the similarities with his work and there's another photographer who uh, is the same age, maybe six months older, which is uh, Joey L, and who, who is also a portrait, uh, a commercial portrait photographer. So, um, Joran is from the uh, Netherlands right. and he actually started learning when he was 17. So, he sort of taught himself off YouTube and wow. he also started working in the portrait sector and his work, he's shot from some for some uh, major, major companies, uh, including uh, Bellstaff and um, Heineken and mm-hmm. JBL, Johnny Walker, Shimano, mm-hmm. 
Uh, he's won a ton of awards. He works for uh, there's like top tier brands that that use him as an ambassador as well, like Phase One and Broncolor, which is just incredible. And most importantly, his work is absolutely gorgeous and uh like i absolutely love his style and it does it stops me in my tracks because it's not often that you see this level of attention and so there's a lot in this to getting to this point and it also includes doing a lot of personal projects it's not enough to just do the work to just work with clients because there's no growth in that so uh, it was one of his personal projects that actually caught my attention so it shows you that it is one of the most important things that you can do as a portrait photographer or as a commercial photographer is to do that personal work to do that work just because that stuff that lights you up that stuff that you know uh, makes your heart beat. It's so important because there is a different energy in that work. So with Yuren, we chat, chat about uh, how he landed his first commercial gig at 18. Amazing. Wow. And uh, he talks about the importance and I think um, how well this has worked for him, learning that to be uh, working as a portrait photographer and knowing how to pose and directing his models. We talk about the importance of working with good assistants and uh, getting booked from his uh, personal projects, uh, how he funds his personal projects and just what's involved in all of that because he's flying all over the world on his own dime to get these to get these beautiful images. But, like, you know, it's paid off big time. And um, we talk about the, uh, the gear that he uses, working with art directors, how he plans his personal projects, and uh, we also get into how he lights, directs his subjects, and um, a whole heap more. I'm really excited about this interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. You're in Newhouse. Welcome to the show. How are you? How, how did I go with uh, your your name? Did I completely butcher it with my Australian accent? <laughs> no, you did very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, I'm really excited to chat to you. So just, just for the listeners, how do you c correctly pronounce your name without the Australian accent? Uh, yeah, it's a typical Dutch name. So foreign people always have a struggle uh, pronouncing it correctly. So my uh, my name is Jeroen Nieuwhuis. Yes. Um, my last name is Nieuwhuis and it's, if you correct, if you translate it to English, it's Nieuwhuis. Yeah, so my problem is rolling those R's. Uh, yes, the Australian accent, not great for getting names. But I'm delighted to chat to you. I think your work is absolutely amazing. It stopped me in my tracks. Before we start, a question I always ask our guests is, where in the world are you? I'm located in the Netherlands. Fantastic. Beautiful part of the world. And it so is. you are predominantly a commercial photographer or 100% of your work is commercial work? Um, yes, uh, I do commercial and advertising, advertising photography, um, shoot portraits, um, I shoot for uh, big advertising companies, I did campaigns for Bellstaff, uh, Heineken, Desprados, uh, Harlan Carden, GBL, Johnny Walker, Shimano uh, and many more. Yeah, you've done really well, and uh, you're still quite young. So you're 29, is that correct? I'm 29, yeah, Fantastic. but I'm already doing it professionally since uh, the age of 17. 17, so, so that's amazing. And uh, that, that to me, um, uh, that reminds me of a Joey... Joey L, the photographer, and I think he was, I think he was even younger than you when he started, uh, just uh, he, got he into was. it. Are you the guys the same age, about the same age now? Um, I think he's a little bit older, maybe one or two years, yeah. but still, yeah, he, he was even earlier than, than me uh, shooting big stuff, so... So He's you, a big inspiration for sure. Uh, fantastic. There's there's some similarities in your work, but you definitely have a, a distinct style. So so, if, for you, uh, learning photography so quickly and getting up to that commercial world world class standard that you shoot in, uh, did you are you self taught? Is it a combination? How did you get to this level? Uh, so so quickly in relative terms because I know the commercial photography industry is cutthroat and often 
many of the most successful photographers are, are a little bit older because it just takes some time to get established. So, so ha, ha, what was your uh, road to success like? Um, well, um, I think my benefit is that I started, I knew on a pretty early age that I wanted to be a photographer. Yep. So that really helped and um, really learned quickly. Uh, and I learned a lot through, um, well, through the internet. Um, I grew up, um, when I started out, there was, I think, five pages of behind-the-scenes videos about photography mm. on YouTube. And I've watched them several times, maybe 10 times, 20 times. So really being a sponge and just absorbing all the knowledge um, you could get from those videos and read a lot of blog posts um, Back in the days, I don't know if they're still alive, but uh, Strobist, the Blogspot, yep, was a yep. really, um, really good source for inspiration and uh, techniques. So every article, I just, just absorbed it as a sponge and um, tried to uh, experiment with it. So we're talking about around 2008, something like that? Uh, well, yeah, I think yep. around that age. Yeah. yeah. So there wasn't a lot time. like YouTube hadn't exploded yet. So there were, there were, uh, so I can remember it was, um, Chase Jarvis. Were you watching his behind the scenes videos? Yeah. He was one of the first. One of really, the first. Uh, like, yeah. And I, I've watched them probably hundreds of times. Yeah. They, those were pretty informative and he, sh he shared more than, um, the the photographers were doing back in the days. Nowadays, if you go on YouTube, you, there are probably a million pages exactly. of uh, behind-the-scenes content. But there were not many. So Chase was really one of the first that yeah. really opened and, eyes. And 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 incredibly generous. It, it, it actually, I remember seeing um, the first one of the first videos that he shared, and I think he showed how he set up his MacBook to tether. Uh, and it was a really detailed um, tutorial on how, you know, he, he, he converted a case and, and made it into a, a special tethering port and then where he had his, um, his hard drives and all of that. And for me, looking at this and then looking at some of his behind-the-scenes videos as well, I'm like, he's just giving everything away because I'd grown up uh, shooting commercial photography, but Every photographer guarded their lighting and guarded all their uh, or their, the processes that they used uh, with their life. And the only mm -hmm. way you could learn before all of that was to work as an assistant and work your way up. Did you have an opportunity to assist anyone coming up as you were learning the, the craft? Um, well, I did as a uh, summer job, I worked in a uh, camera store in the um, in the small village I lived in um, uh, when I was 14 years old. I did it for four years. Um, first, it was just uh, in the weekends and in the summer. And after that, a uh, couple, two years, I did it full time. And there we just shot family portraits, uh, weddings, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, but I always did my my side thing so i always experiment uh with the things i just like to shoot and when i s stopped at the photo store i all uh, i already um was doing some work for myself but um not enough so i read so i also assisted a photographer for i think three or four months and he was shooting a bigger commercial job so I did some assisting, but well, most of the things I learned was by uh, by doing myself. Your own experimentation. I just want to go back to that time when you were working in uh, in the camera store, and you said you were doing family portraits and things like that. Do you think mm -hmm. Do you think that experience had some impact on your ability to photograph the commercial style of portraits that you do because there are commercial photographers out there that that they they'll work with models if they're great models but when it comes to working with the average person who doesn't know what to do they might struggle in in being able to pose and direct them do you, do you think that spending some time working with real people in that portrait sector helped you uh with with the oh. commercial stuff 
Yeah, I think I think it helped. Yeah, it really benefited because, like, as you already said, the models are used to pose and they're, they they know if you're asking what them to do something, they know what to do. And um, when you're shooting someone that's not used to being in front of a camera, you really have to direct them and, and even maybe just literally show them how to stand. And that, that's something I really learned, yeah. It's, so did you learn that sh- shooting the portraits that you would go in and um, know how to do the pose yourself so that you could easily show someone else? Yeah, yeah. And I did some – most of the times I first went on to the internet and just looked some looked up some poses so yep. I could easily direct or show people like, okay, just stand like this, stand like this, do this with your hands, etc. That's interesting. So when you were first starting out and learning how to pose people, did you, like, you, you'd see some poses that you'd like, would you um, keep copies of those with you in those early days? Were you able to just remember them? And um, what, what was that process like? I usually kept them on my laptop and yeah. just, uh, I had just had an enormous folder with with people uh, just like for, for poses for two people or three or four or five or so I could always just look up if I'm uh, when I'm brain dead, uh, didn't know anything. So I could always <laughs> go into that folder and see. Uh, oh yeah, I can try this one. Exactly, that just jolts your memory. So yeah, how how what was your first break in the commercial photography um, genre? What what was your first job? Um, well, it was around the time that I was still assisting for that photographer, um, but it was. Close to the end, I got a um, I got a job for a um, uh, um, company that made um, how do you call it? Um, uh, it's like window decorations. Yeah, uh, window decorations. Uh, uh, and like blinds and um, curtains and yeah, things yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah, right. Cool. Yeah, exactly. I like your description pretty... better. It's far more romantic. <laughs> But yeah, that was a pretty big campaign, especially uh, because I was 18 at the time. Oh uh, it was uh, it was a European campaign. So how did you get how being... did you get the job? Did you did you go around um, showing your folio to art directors? How did you get your name I, out there? Exactly. Yeah, I did a lot of um, portfolio meetings, uh, sending my work to different art directors or ad agencies, and just tried to get a foot between the door. Um, yep. And eventually, uh, someone saw something in me and uh, <laughs> called me. Fantastic. So okay, yeah. so you've got a, you've got a, your first gig is photographing uh, window window dressings. Uh, curtains, things yeah, like that. But it was in a, it was yeah. But what it was in a setting with models, etc. With right, small, with, with children, etc. Yeah. And and how did you go? You were obviously successful. How was yeah, the day? Yeah, was, no, they, they were they were really happy, and so uh, and I was happy. But that was one of the few, uh, one of my first bigger jobs, and I did it with um, just one assistant, or even some sometimes with no assistant. And that was something uh, I learned pretty quickly that you can't, you cannot work on that scale uh, without good assistance. A hundred percent. How many are you using now when you're working? Um, most of the times uh, I have a minimum of two. Yep. And up to sometimes three or four, uh, depending on the job. But how big the job is? Most of the times... Yeah, but yeah, and how, how much light we have, we have to set up, or how many sets we have to run in one day. Yeah, but most of the stuff we just do with two assistants. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot of photographers because I'm, I'm constantly trying to c- convince my students that this is the best investment you can ever make as a photographer. Having great assistants around you lift your work because um, for you, what what is the benefit? of a good assistant what does it allow you to do better than 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 when you're working on your own well um for my level of work it's for me it's really important to stay uh, to connect and discuss the shoot uh discuss during the shoot with the client and the art director and and all the people that are on set so i'm not able to also uh, build up an entire set and set up the lights and stuff so I just need people to do that for me so I can focus on getting that image. Exactly. And then you can just 
you're focused on doing your job and then you've got these other sets of eyes that are making sure that all the lights are firing, all your files, importantly, are being transferred and backed up and all the clients are looked after in terms of, you know, um, and you're looked after with drinks and food and things like that so you don't fall over. Because it is uh, – so you've done both. You've done the, the portrait photography when you were early on, but you've also done the, the high-powered commercial shoots. What what are the major differences between between the two genres of photography to you? Um, well, like I, I also still shoot a lot of personal projects, yeah. and those projects I do sometimes um, still by myself yeah. or with one or two assistants. Um, but that's usually it. There's no client or set or producer or models, uh, client handling, etc. So. I think the only difference is that um, is the skill of people that are mm. on a set. But so when you're doing a commercial shoot, who's involved? Because it's like when you're shooting a portrait, it's you and the client and you're hired for your look and your eye, as you would be with the commercial shoot, but you're calling all the shots in the, in the, um, in the portrait shoot. You're making the decisions on the lighting, the color, the, the the where the person's going to go, how it's going to be outputted. How is that different to a commercial shoot where you've got the client, the art director, the creative director? How, how does that work differently for you and, and how is it working in a team? Well, it's, it's a real case-by-case case thing. Um, sometimes you get a briefing and the briefing is so detailed that they already had, have sketches and example images of where yeah. the light has to be placed, uh, how the models is going to stand. It's sometimes if you work uh, with models and products, how, how far the product is being placed from the model. Sometimes you have really detailed sketches. But sometimes um, they just said, okay, We've took these images from your portfolio. We really like the mood and the, and the look of these images. Recreated with our brand, uh-huh. okay, and we're just we're just um, uh, we're going for for your vision. That's the dream so that's, client, isn't it? That's the best. Uh, well, well, a mix of both. Um, um, I like when the client is giving me creative freedom. Yes, but um, sometimes the client also delivers no feedback during a shoot and then i'm like okay i want to know if i'm in the right direction i'm just doing what i think is good but please let me know if i'm in the right direction but well in the, in a couple of years back i shot most of my uh, images still just shoot on a camera uh-huh. um but now i always shoot um tethered to a laptop uh, with an extra screen for the client so the client already sees the images coming in yeah. and can really give feedback correct right feedback on the set so we can get the most out of the shoot and you make really sure helps. that they're happy and you're making them sign off on the, you know, because as, as the jobs get uh, bigger and bigger, there's more more money involved. There's more at stake, basically. So you want to make sure that you've got everything locked down and everyone's happy with how it's going. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So when you're shooting in these situations and you said you've, you've got the best of both worlds there, it sounds like you've got clients that are booking you for your vision and there's, and there's clients that are booking you because they know you're going to be able to deliver uh, the, the quality of the product uh, that they need. You know, so um, h- how important uh, to you is the style of uh, the, the gear that you use? And I know you're shooting on very high-end gear, uh, did it always start out like that, or did you just grow and and build the um the collection as you went along? Um, well, yeah, like having the right gear is absolutely important, but it's not critical. Um, you can still get amazing results. I still have images in my portfolio that are shot in a Canon EOS 5D Mark II, and they still look good. Yeah. Um, but nowadays, um, 90% of my work is shot on my medium format camera. That is a phase one. Uh-huh. Um, and I just like it in terms of um, the quality, the details. And also because you have the largest sensor, you get a more creamy looking depth of field. That it's yeah. a little bit more painterly, I think. Yeah. And that's just something that um, you just can't get with a um, 
Michael Fulford's or a DSLR camera. Yeah. And is it and, is, uh, yeah, the so lighting as well? It, like you, you, you've got, you, you're using bronze color, right? Yeah, nowadays I'm a Broncolor ambassador, which I'm really happy to mm. wear the title. Mm. Um, but in the past, I've, I've used everything from from cheap speed lights I bought on eBay from the from the 1980s to yeah. uh, to uh, Palsy Buff, the Einsteins. Yeah. I used them uh, for quite a while, and they they are pretty good. Yeah. Um, the only bad thing about the Einsteins is that you break just fairly easily. They're yeah really plastic so that's that's a that's a big downside from them but still um really like them but nowadays i'm when i'm because i'm shooting on bronco um um well good equipment just really helps and it helps you can really afford being a flash that that just breaks during the shoot uh, and bronco the the flash output is always consistent the build quality is amazing i've put my flash in really really shitty uh, situations and they still managed to survive so um my Einsteins will probably blow up a few times <laughs> yeah i started with broncolor and i've still got a couple and uh you're absolutely right they are a beautiful uh, a beautiful light and you do you need that consistency you can't afford to be on a set where let's face it the client has outlaid money for the models and everyone on the crew and then suddenly one or two lights goes down you you can't afford um that happening right so you, that that's when uh i think buying high-end gear gear is definitely uh justified and and uh certainly the results are, are there in your folio it's it's beautiful so when you're working with um, I think I was trying to get to this point earlier. When you're working with art directors and creatives who have that vision sort of already worked out, sometimes as a commercial photographer, and I know this was my experience, it's not – you can be proud of the work and obviously enjoy doing the work, but um, sometimes at the end of it there is – you, you don't have that um, – uh, creative satisfaction out of um, making something that that is all yours. And so I do personal projects and I've noticed that you've said from the start you've always done personal projects. Is that the reason why that you just want to have that freedom to just create something entirely 100% yours? Um, yeah, I think you're, you're, you're right. Um I do some shoots and I do some shoots that um, I won't and um, I won't put them in my portfolio mm. just in terms of the well they're not exactly uh, what I'm I'm striving for yeah um, but still like uh, now like especially last year I did a few personal projects because of COVID a lot of my um, bigger shoots were cancelled yeah. so my uh, I had a lot more time in my uh, in my agenda and what i'm what i'm really like now a lot of the personal projects i did last year um are being turned into commercial projects so i'm now having clients that email me like okay uh, this project you did from uh, like the former project i did last year um we want that style we want those images or i i even had a um shoot in the beginning of this year that um i can't really say a lot of it but mm -hmm. it was a personal project i did it in the beginning of this year and a big global uh, cosmetic agency bought three of those images Amazing. for a uh, three-year global campaign and it was just a personal project i did because um i thought it was going to benefit my portfolio and then yeah. it also benefited my bank account. <laughs> That's amazing. That's fantastic. There, there's so many benefits to uh, doing the personal projects. You know, you can experiment with uh, uh, lighting styles and subject choice. But what, like, what I want to ask you is how the ideas for your next personal project, like are they just – subjects that you're interested in so let's talk about um the one that um i first uh found you with which was the the mountain men project which is uh, a, a, a series of images that you're doing and i'll get you to explain um the whole project but how did that come about because it just seems like you know um someone in the netherlands doing a project about mountain men in america it's just like it doesn't kind of make 
I can't make the connection. How did that all come about? Yeah, um, well, it's, it all started by, um, by an article that was placed by National Geographic on Twitter. Um, and it was a really small article about a group of men uh, who were looked like they were from, an, from another century. Yeah. Really rugged, rugged looking men and um, appeared to be living on a trail. And um, I clicked on an article and saw a few images, uh, I think five images in the article, but it's, it's really caught my attention. So uh, I started looking online for the mountain men and I was surprised that I couldn't find a lot of official documentation about this group. Um, so I immediately felt like, okay, this is something that hasn't been done a million times before. So that's, that's one yeah. of the things I like. Um, and then... Um, I started try, trying to get in contact with the, the, the people that are still doing this today. And by contacting various historians and museums, I managed to get in contact with one of those uh, mountain men. And I asked him why there was no visual documentation about this group. And he explained, like, the people that are doing it, they are reenacting the, um, the, the mountain men that lived in the north of America from roughly 1800 to 1840. Uh -huh. um, uh, most people have seen The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Well, the characters in The Revenant are based on the mountain men. Ah. Like, so now a lot of people knew a little bit about the mountain men because of The Revenant. Right. Um, but still, the story isn't really told correctly. It's a little bit in the Hollywood version of yeah. it. <laughs> but... It doesn't matter. It's a good movie. I like it a lot. And um, he explained to me like why, uh, because a traditional rendezvous held by by, the, by these mountain men is always period correct. So 1800 to 1840. So that means no contemporary clothing, but also no contemporary technology. So ah. no smartphones, no cameras, etc. So that's one of them was one of the main reasons why there was almost no official documentation. So, um, but Duane, that was my, my contact, he proposed to me, so like, let's set up a rendezvous to get stuff for people out there to see, because most of the people that are reenacting today are a little bit on age. So there are not a lot of young people coming into the group yeah. um, and it started to slowly die out a little. Um, so Duane was like, perhaps we can get this for people out there to see, to spur new interest in the, in these, in the mountain men. And that's what we did. We did, uh, we set up a month, uh, a rendezvous in, um, in a valley in the Rocky Mountains in May 2016, if I'm correct. Right. And then we, uh, we spent five days uh, just shooting photography. Um, I had my, my cinematographer and director also with me, so we shot a small video of it. Um, just, well, shooting knives, uh, drinking, having fun. And I think almost a year later when I got back, um, I looked at those images and I thought to myself, like, do these images represent the mountain men in a way I interpreted them? And the answer was no, because these men spent countless hours on the trail uh, in every um, scenario and weather circumstances you can possibly think of. So why don't my images showcase that? What, so, so what? how did your images look at this stage? Well, it was just um, a documentation uh -huh. of five days in one camp at one place. Right. So, and these mountain men, they, they just live on the trail. They, they go to countless places and just really live on what nature has to offer. And my images wasn't, it was a beginning, but it was not even close to a real documentation of what these people actually stand for. So, right. um, and then in December of 2017, uh, I restarted uh, my adventure and went back to the United States uh, seven more times between commercial commercial assignments. Yeah. Uh, in in the fall, in the winter, in the spring, in the summer, to really have a widest documentation of how this group lives. So, so just to be clear, there is no backing at this point. You don't have a client. That there's no end result. You are purely doing this as a personal project. So you're bankrolling the flights 
you're paying for the cinematographer, the assistant. It, it, it's not it's not it's not cheap to do all of this, but it's just like out of that desire to create something um, beautiful that's yours, that personal project. You're going to to fund it all, and then you know something might come out of it. There's no guarantees at this stage. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, only the first time I went with a cinematographer and a director, the the other uh, seven times I went all by myself. Right. Um, also to well, as you said, uh, to keep the cost uh, minimal. Yes. Um, but it was still pretty uh, pretty expensive. Yeah. Most most of the times I flew on Thursday or Friday morning. Um, where was I arrived Friday evening most of the times. And then shot on Saturday, shot on Sunday, and flew back on Monday morning. So wow. I was, and I did flies some sometimes free connecting flights. And it was in total of twenty hour flight time for just being two days, and then and, fly back twenty hours. And it's, it's it's not like it's a comfortable shoot where you're flying into some five star hotel and the the models all come out. There's craft services and all of that. This is like you're no. in you're in the mountains. Right. Uh, yeah, with a lot of heavy equipment, yeah. all hauling it by myself. So, what what, <laughs> so, what yeah. gear what gear are you taking on a, a, a job like this? Well, I don't want to spare no expenses in quality, so I, I brought my phase one. I brought oh. my Broncos equipment. <laughs> uh, I brought a C stand. Well, I rented a C stand. No, you've rented yeah. that, right? They're not. Yeah, they're, I've the C stand alone is quite heavy. Did you? What about um, sandbags? Uh, I had, yeah, I also rented a sandbag, but I didn't um, haul it the entire way. Sometimes I just left it in camp when we went up to the mountains because it was just too damn heavy. Yeah. But still, my camera uh, bag uh, had my face one with four lenses. Um, it had my Canon uh, as a backup camera with a lens. So it was still, I think, 15 to 20 kilograms yes. on my back. And yeah. then um, a brown color um, bag in my uh, left hand and a C stand in my right hand. <laughs> Oh my god, that's yeah. crazy! And and it's just you, so you don't have an assistant. So when you're no. um when you're working with these people, do they just have you? How long do you spend to develop that relationship to gain the trust, so that they eventually they just let you do what you need to do? How, how is that process? Well, like the, the first rendezvous we, we set up, uh, I get to know a lot of um, good members in the in the group, and uh, it was it was just word of mouth. So uh, they just said like, okay, you're you're coming over. He's a great guy. He's gonna shoot amazing portraits for his series. It's really gonna benefit the mountain men uh -huh. um, group. So if everyone was really interested, in like they all felt like there's just this little blonde guy flying yeah. in from the Netherlands so what what is he what is he thinking <laughs> so, so so they quite they quite liked the idea of you coming and, and and doing this and they were happy to um coordinate and work with you uh so in terms of um the shooting then how how does that how does that work to capture uh these uh these guys in their elements so so you, you're saying you've got your light how, how is that working what are you using um octoboxes or you know naked flat what what's your vision there how are you how yeah. are you lighting and thinking about that um it's all with an octobox yeah yeah that, that was my uh, my main light yep i shot it uh with a combination of natural light of course and then an octobox i yep. usually uh underexpose the ambient light yep half or maybe one stop and one just stop fill it under, in with yep. a flash to yep. give it to give it some extra direction yep and that's yep. what i'm mostly doing yeah. so when you underexpose by a stop your your ambient then becomes your um your shadow detail and then you're just popping in a little bit of flash are you using a, a deep octa or a, is there a particular brand of octa you like to use um i shot some with my uh, palsy buff octabox it uh -huh. was uh 74 inch, if yeah. I'm correct. Um, and also with my Broncolor softbox. And that uh, Octobox, that's uh, the 150. It's a large right. one. Yeah, fantastic. And and so, like, 
how long are the guys giving you for 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 each shoot and um how much how much are you directing them or are you trying to get something a bit more authentic um yeah i usually just let them be themselves um I'm, when they're sitting around camp or they are making food or i just say like okay i'm gonna place a light here so if you can turn your body a little bit more towards that light if you're doing your thing um that would really help getting the getting a good image yeah um but i just it's more a documentary style of photography where i slightly direct them uh, in terms of saying okay i want to want you to be here and doing your thing and just try to um move your body a little bit towards towards the light yeah so you give them a sort of a, a general area and then you get them to keep working on what they're doing if they're building a fire or they're on their horse or whatever and exactly. they're very yeah they're incredibly uh heroic you've you've made these like a they definitely look like men uh and but the, every <laughs> single image looks uh heroic and i also like that uh when you do underexpose you're not you're not underexposing for you know super super detail in those skies. There's ones where you, you know you let that blow out, so you're going for a more natural kind of a look with that lighting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I think the I think the light is just um, well. There are some images that in uh, in the book that are that don't have flash. It's just all all natural lighting. Yep. Um, and sometimes the, the 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 flash is just to give a little bit of extra dimension into the into the image. Yeah, right. And are you using uh, any gels when you shoot with your flash? Um, depends on the day or depends on the time of day I'm yep. shooting. Um, yep. When I'm, of course, like the, during broad daylight, um, I have my flash pretty much just as a bare flash just yep. like um, so it has the uh, the normal day day temperature yeah um but more towards the, like the morning or the evening i tend to sometimes put a half a cto or, or a quarter to just give it that mix over, like yeah match it a little bit more to which with the ambient light fantastic i'm, I'm super interested how it's now so the project is now a book you found a um a book company in the Netherlands that are going to put it all together. And, yeah, and, yeah, really happy about it. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So it's and it's it's a big book. It looks like a substantial looking book. Is what? How did that feel seeing that all come together? And what was the process mm-hmm. of actually putting all the images together? How how, how was that? Well, especially like the selecting the images was pretty tough. Um, because some images you just uh, put in more effort than others, and uh, when you and then the designer just don't pick those images for in the book, or, or, the, or the publisher says, "No, nah, we don't like these. We like these more." Like, oh man, you you have to know how much work that was in that image. But um, <laughs> that's that's the, but it's, that's it's, such it's, the one it, of the most disappointing things about being a photographer because we're always, I know this is the case for me. I'm always more in love with those images because I just know what I had to do to get that shot you know and so you're more attached to it and then the 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 client generally likes the one that you just happen to oh it was the last shot of the day i didn't even use a light for that one and we just yeah we love that one and it's like you're almost disappointed (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's for the better like of course like no one's seeing how much work there is in one photo so if one image just works better in the book well then it's then it's then it just is so, so how long did the process take of uh, editing and selecting all the images, and how much um, uh, was the uh, well, the you had a creative director working on the book with you, or and how much input did they have to the look and feel of the book? So that I guess it's the actual publisher, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is in a com- yeah, it is in a cooperation with the publisher and the designer. The, the designers actually are from Sydney. That's pretty oh, funny, though. Excellent. There yeah, you go. So it's got Australia. a bit of an Australian uh, connection there. That's great. It is. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, it's. Uh, they they do amazing work. They are. Uh, it's, they're called Design by Toko, and they do incredible work. And they really made something uh, pretty special from yeah. my book. And. I'm, Something I wouldn't come up with, so I'm happy to, uh, to collaborate with them on this uh, project. Um, 
Uh, and I now forget what you asked me. <laughs> Sorry. Well, so what was the process of putting that together oh, yeah. and how much input did the, the designers have on, in terms of choosing images and the look and the field? Did you have to like kind of let go at that point because it's like your job, you took all the photos and then, you know, we talked earlier about how we are become attached to certain images, but was there some point when you just said, I'm just going to let them do what they do best? Uh, yeah, but um, some images they um, said they didn't want to include in the book, and mm -hmm. I s just explained them why I thought they had to be in the book um, right. because they were uh, complementing the story I was telling in these images. So mm -hmm. um, it was just like a back and forth, like okay, uh, we don't like this image, okay, but I think this image has to be in the book because of this and this. this. Yeah, right. And sometimes it was the other way around. They liked an image to be in a book. And I said, like, um, well, I don't think so because of this is this. this. Um, and I think we're, uh, I've ended this project. Um, I've all shot it in 2018 and we're already in 2021. So yeah. um, it's, it's still three years since I yeah, but I don't think 2020 project. counts for anything. I don't think that year no. happened. It's just like it's like we lost a whole year. So so it's kind yeah, that's, of that's it took so two years really. One of the, it took two years. Yeah, one of the things I loved was that they uh, included where you've you've got these panoramic images that you shot, and they've they've like they have the the book opens up and then the the images fold out. That that's pretty cool. Was that their idea? Yeah. It was their idea, yeah. It was. I saw it in a, in a different book. So uh, when we first went over the like when it, when we when we were introduced to each other, and I I said, okay, I like this book. I like the the things to like these details, etc. And I think I don't know if I added the, the the panoramic image to 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 the conversation, but um, I'm still really happy that they uh, that they included it, and that's really. Uh, gives justice to some some images because if you see them big, like it's all shot with phase one. Oh, the detail um, is incredible. With, the detail is yeah. incredible. And some images, because my phase one at a certain point um, um, was broken, it had to be fixed. I had a rental one and I shot my work is a is on a 50 megapixel uh, digital back. Yeah. Um, but for some images, uh, I've shot it with a 100 megapixel back. And if you see the detail in those images, it's incredible. You can zoom in so much. Yeah. And you see so much. So, yeah, it, it really helps if you see those images big. Yeah. And so, is there a plan to have uh, an exhibition where you could blow those images up and have them, you know? mural size uh, on yeah 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 I, I probably when the book will come out we'll have a, a book exhibition and uh, the, the pretty i think a gallery um, show somewhere don't know where but <laughs> so just just on those 100 meg files and um are you still shooting and filling the frame and um you, I, I i can't imagine you're a, a lazy photographer i imagine you um shoot in in camera, what what you see on the page is what you shot in the camera. Is is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that's yeah, the commercial yeah. background, right? Uh, yeah, I don't want to really crop out because um, when you've got, I don't have to. I know, but when you've got files that big, you can you can kind of get into that mentality. Ah, oh, we'll just shoot it loose. We'll crop in, but like I can see you're kind of that kind of photographer that's very meticulous in the way that they frame everything up. Your, your work is mm -hmm. uh, certainly beautiful. Um, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today and I've got, I'm going to put all the links to your, uh, you've done, got a beautiful uh, video on Vimeo that talks about the, the Mountain Men project uh, and then I've got your link to your Instagram and Facebook as well and I think, and the website there. So, uh, uh I wish you nothing but uh, continued success, Euron, and thanks so much for um, chatting with us today. Thank you, Gina, for putting me on the show. Thank you. <laughs> All right. How cool. Euron Newhouse and his shots are absolutely stunning. Mm. Um, you can check him out on Instagram, but also make sure you check out some of his images from uh, the Mountain Men series. We've got some in the show notes, so go to ginamilitia.com and check out um, his images. They're just uh, yes. jaw-dropping. Yes. Um, 
as I said, check him out on Instagram and Facebook. He, it, the easiest thing will be for you to follow the links in the show notes yes. because you know there is, um, it's a slightly complex spelling of his name, um, and um, it'll be worth it, absolutely yes. worth it. So yes. make sure you um, have a look at Euron's work. Mm. Fantastic. All right. So, Gina, what's happening with you in the coming week? Oh, it's a busy time of the year, Val, but you know what I'm most excited about? Do you know what today is? Like we're recording this no. on the 21st of June. So, you know what that's special about today? No. It is the shortest day of the year in the Southern Hemisphere. And then oh, which every means... day oh, yes, from... yes, yes. Every day from today on, we get another minute of daylight. So this time next week, the days will be seven minutes longer. This is a turning point. It means I say this to myself every year, I survive the winter. I've done it. It's all downhill from here. And I'm sorry in the Northern Hemisphere where you're having a delightful summer, I see everyone's out and about. (laughs) Every day from now on is going to become a minute shorter. But it's, yeah, it's a landmark day. I always celebrate it It and recognize it. Yeah, it's exciting. I break out some... Um, it's good. Make, break drink. out a drink because <laughs> <laughs> I need an excuse. But, but Val, don't get too excited because, Why? and we'll talk about this next week because we're only um, a little way away from the sexiest day in the accounting year in Australia. Oh, yeah. It's tax time. <laughs> when it's just yes. like suddenly accountants across <laughs> Australia are just suddenly that extra bit sexy. And what, like, what do accountants do to mark it? Because I know for you, it's an exciting yeah. day isn't it yeah well because i used to be an accountant and basically you're really busy (laughs) well business (laughs) owners are certainly busy getting all of their books up to date accountants often get busier actually just after because then they have to deal with all of the end of financial year accounts so if you're unfamiliar um or if your financial year is at a different time which it is in america Mm. um in australia the end of financial year is the 30th of june and i like it because it's in the middle of the calendar year, it's six months in and you have another chance of kind of having a little bit of an ending and a re-evaluation and a new beginning. But yeah. most importantly, and this is relevant for photographers, working photographers, it is a chance for you to have a think about what you can buy and expense and have as a tax deduction. Yes. So I am often there at 11.30 at night on the 30th of June. Yes. <laughs> Just <laughs> buying stuff. <laughs> Just to, yeah. And I think um, I think the write-offs are substantial. Okay, so obviously this is this not is, financial hang on, this advice. Is not, this but, is not tax advice in any no, way, shape, don't, or don't, form. Don't take tax advice from me. But but like I think they have increased. So like it used to be like you know little things. Now you can buy bigger things. So you know if you're thinking of buying something, ask your accountant. It's like you know yes. is this a write-off? Should I buy this? Yes, speak to your accountant um, because, oh, and honestly, uh, never underestimate the value of an accountant's advice because so many times in the past, my accountant has given me advice before the end of financial year that has saved me so much money, so much money. they're waiting gold, Val? They're just amazing. I love my accountants, even though, like, Mm. they don't, oh, I suppose. I just give them a shoebox, go, here you go, sort (laughs) this out, guys, thank you. Oh no, that you would be my worst nightmare. I am everybody's worst nightmare, but they they do a really good job. They look after me. Mm. All right, so not only do we have longer days, yes. we've got the end of financial year yes. parte. Yes, <laughs> parte. Who said like an accountant? It's a parte where we break out. Jan would be beside herself. Jan in accounts, she gets out. Her she be she be at her, she would. She would bake and bring cakes in for everyone, I think. And I reckon she wears her extra special undies on that day (laughs) just because she's a bit racy. (laughs) I've got a whole backstory for Jan. (laughs) I have extra reason to partake because by the time we speak next, most likely, I will actually have had my first COVID jab. Now, those of you who are in other countries in North America that have a that you know have a far more efficient vaccine rollout than us, 
is not going to think uh, you're not going to think this is much very big deal but we, we we've kind of been a bit slow on the up, on the vaccine uptake in Australia so um uh so I've booked mine in my friend um booked his in separately and it turns out we're going at exactly the same time and dates for all, oh, all wow. our jabs, which is weird. Um, so going so, on a COVID date with someone. COVID date, so like partay. Yeah, woo. <laughs> so um, oh, you'll have to give you a, like a day off afterwards just to hopefully you won't have any side effects and you'll be fine because, you you know, yes. you still want to celebrate end of financial year, Val. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know. Wow, you've got oh, a huge week. This is probably the biggest week of the year for you. This is massive. massive. How are you going to recover from this? Boy? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, all right, fantastic. <laughs> Where, um, what are you doing in the coming week apart from enjoying the fact that it's going to be uh, longer days. Longer days. Oh, so what am I going to take advantage of these longer days? I've got a uh, big, uh, shoot in the country, so a big long drive, which I always love. Mm. I've got some telly to do and I've got some and headshots to do. And you're doing photography for television stations. Yeah, and some editorial and then I've got, uh, yeah, a country shoot. Then that's, uh, that's an editorial shoot too. So uh, it's going to be sure. a, a fun week. And then obviously, yeah, I'll be celebrating end of financial year. I might buy myself something to work yes. out what. Yes. Me too, now that you've reminded me. All right, fantastic. And what about Where you, Val? The... What are you doing? Oh, uh, my goodness. You're done in your jab. That's your big well, day. That's my big day. <laughs> COVID jab. Oh, my God. That's ridiculous. No, what am I doing? This week I am running a um, Ask Me Anything for people who want to succeed as freelancers. Yeah. So that's going to be fun. Um, I am, um, oh, goodness me, um, going to check out a temporary studio, actually. Oh, what? For you? Thursday, yes, because For painting. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't got myself organised at home yet because of a whole bunch of boring reasons yeah. like lighting and yeah. logistics and stuff. Um, and a friend of mine is actually going away from her studio oh. uh, for two months. So, uh, yeah. How exciting. Be, mm, so we'll see how we go. Anyway, nice. where do we find you online, Gina? You find me at ginamilitia.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm at Gina Militia on all social media. And if you want to take your photography to the next level, I'd love the opportunity to work with you. So just head to ginamilitia.com and um, check out the Gold Community by clicking on membership. Membership. Yes. Fantastic. And you, Val? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com.